Thank you so much, Village Choir Ensemble and Grace Notes Handbells. I remember that uh, beautiful song very well. My, I'm so looking forward to being back together again with you and us together here in the sanctuary. Hopefully it's soon. I'd like to begin this morning with an affirmation and a confession. First, the affirmation. I believe. I'm a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. Now my confession. I also have doubts. There are lingering questions, annoying, frustrating issues that never completely go away. I like to suggest something that may sound contradictory to you. I think it's reasonable. No, I think it's even necessary, essential to faith that we experience doubt. There must be believing, there must be doubting, and there must be choosing. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you would speak to us through your word, through the ministry of your spirit, wherever we are this day, wherever this moment finds us, and that we might be brought evermore in alignment with your goodness, your love, and your care for us in Jesus Christ. I ask in his name. Amen. Faith, deep, abiding relationship in, trust in, loyalty to, reliance upon, allegiance to God is foundational to our spiritual lives. But faith does not remove doubt. I like the way one person said it. Doubt is not so much a dividing line that separates people into different camps as it is a razor's edge that runs through every soul. We all have believing and we all have doubting. Steps to Christ, I think, says it so beautifully. God never asks us to believe without giving sufficient evidence upon which to base our faith. And that evidence is everywhere. The created world speaks in profound intimacy. And the reliability and transforming power of God's word to change and remake us. And then the beauty of God's character and our own inclination toward that beauty and love that draws us to him and innumerable other evidences are sufficient for faith. But, but, the quote goes on, God has never removed the possibility of doubt. He wouldn't. He couldn't. It wouldn't be faith it wouldn't be faith without the possibility of doubt. Well, we're at number 12 of 13 in our series, Steps to Christ, Doing Life with Jesus. A few weeks ago, we turned a corner and began a final section of this series where we are talking about specific practices essential to Christian growth. We started with service and how that brings us stronger in Christ. We then looked into knowing God through his word and through nature and, and other ways and how that's transformative in our lives. Then we talked about um, prayer and how important that is to grow us in Jesus' name. Next week, we'll be blessed with Pastor Dan's inspirational message but then the week after that, the first 
Sabbath in June, June 6th to be specific, we will finish our Steps to Christ series with a look at praise, praise to God as a channel for growth in God. But this week, we will see how doubt is a part of growing in Christ. There must be doubting because believing must include choosing. I must decide which road I will follow. If you were to ask me, why, Jeff, do you believe in God? I might tell you a story of a baby. Now, my faith in God didn't begin with this child, but I can say it did start a new chapter in my believing. It was long ago and a few nights before Christmas and my wife and I had settled down for our long winter's nap when Wafia announced with a clatter on Jeffrey, on Citation, that was our car, on Doctor, on Fixins. We headed for Mount Carmel at 11 p.m. a clippin'. Now, that's as far as I'll go with this poem. But Evan, our firstborn, didn't make his appearance until Sabbath afternoon. And that kind of Sabbath labor is so sweet. At least I remember it as such. Evan, when he arrived and I held him in my arms, I was totally unprepared, unprepared for the world that I had entered into. I took my son Evan into my arms for the first time and I was overwhelmed with wonder. I was overwhelmed with mystery. Now, it wasn't the mechanics of this tiny baby, this tiny body, although that was amazing when I looked at it. It wasn't my sudden love for this that came as a tide, and it did. But when I held Evan in my arms for the first time, I found it incapable to believe that this child was an accident. I was incapable of believing that the universe was just a random chaotic machine that did not care whether I loved this child or not. I couldn't believe that. I couldn't hold any of my kids, my daughter Elise, my son Nolan. I couldn't hold them in my arms and, say, and not say thank you to someone for him, for her. I couldn't think of my children's future without praying to someone more powerful, more wise than me to watch over them. That's why I believe. That's, I mean, that added to my faith. Now that if you might ask me why I doubt, I could tell you the story of another baby. My younger sister, Beth, was pregnant with twins at the same time that my wife was pregnant with our second son, Nolan. Soon after her twins were born, my sister noticed some troubling differences between her newborn son and daughter. Nicole, their daughter, was progressing normally, alert to the world, but their son, Eric, on the other hand, seemed too quiet, uh, unusually lethargic. Tests were done over the preceding weeks, months. 
The diagnosis was clear. Cerebral palsy. The twins are 31 years old now. Nicole is married and working as a nurse practitioner. Eric is still lovingly cared for by my sister and her husband. God could have stopped that. He could have. He has power to do that. He could have prevented the brain damage that occurred at birth. Yes, the birth of every infant whispers of a God who loves and lives. Yet the birth of a child with illness calls into question his existence. We have a little bit of believing and a little bit of doubting inside all of us because this world keeps sending us mixed messages. Sometimes I get frustrated. I get frustrated and and I feel that if only I were just a bit smarter, I could figure this whole thing out. I could figure out this whole God-faith thing and be done with, with my doubts. And it's true that evidence for God is abundant and everywhere. And oftentimes I think if I just had more time and could read another book or think a little bit deeper, I could, I could figure it out. But then the book of Job tells me, Job 11, 7 and 8, can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They're higher than the heavens above. What can you do? They're deeper than depths below. What can you know? Making the right choice about faith is more than a high IQ. Faith in God and the challenges in doubt demand all the intellect we can muster. But the truth is that the simplest of us can find great wisdom. And the PhDs among us can choose folly. I like the way Steps to Christ again says it. We can understand as much of his purposes as is for our good to know. And beyond this, we must still trust the hand that is omnipotent, the heart that is full of love. Let me just make an analogy here to possibly help describe this this situation. Let's say, let's just say, for instance, I'm on the 12th floor, the top floor of the Marcus Whitman Hotel. And the hotel, this is not true, but let's just sake for the sake of the story, the hotel is engulfed with flames. The elevator has melted. The stairs have collapsed. And my only escape is to jump out the window into the blanket held by a group of volunteer firemen. I look down. The blanket looks thin. The fireman looks small. (laughs) Would it be rational for me to say, I'm not jumping? Would that be a good choice to make? You know, life is not a calculating game. I'm in a survival game. That's what I'm in. The, The question of faith is never a question of calculating the odds of God's existence. That's not what faith is. 
We are more than probability calculators. We live in a burning building that's called our body. It's either jump or burn. That's the choice we have. But, but, but I'd like to know for sure. I'd like to know for sure that God is really real. That Jesus did, he did help sick people. That he did cast out demons. That Jesus did walk on water. And then he did raise from the grave on the third day. I like the assurance. I like the assurance that when they pay, play taps over my dead body, that the next thing I'll hear is the sound of reveille with Jesus Christ coming in the clouds. I like to know, not just trust, not just hope. I like to know for sure, not just have faith. But you know what? I can't know for sure. No one can know for sure. But I can know enough to believe. I can know enough to believe myself. But I can't know enough to convince you. Because that's your choice. You have to come to your own conclusions. I'll come to mine. You come to yours. You have to let your own mountaintop experience happen for you when faith is born in you. But doubts will always come. They're a part of life. The Apostle Peter warned us by saying some things in the Bible that are hard to understand, which are ignorant and, unsta and unstable people distort to their own destruction. So that happens. There are things that cause doubts. There are things that cause questions. And speaking of these issues, Ellen White admonishes in Steps to Christ, if it contained no account of God, but that which we could easily comprehend, if God's greatness and majesty could be grasped by finite minds, then the Bible would, be, would not bear the unmistakable credentials of divine authority. Now here's the truth about mountaintop experiences. No one is allowed to remain there permanently. Everyone has to go from the mountaintop, the time when we say yes to Jesus Christ in faith, into the valley of life, which is, by the way, the valley of ambiguity and doubt. Sometime, doubt will come. But, and this is really, really important, doubts do not always come merely because we learn something new that contradicts our faith. Doubts don't come just because God, by His very infinite nature and our limited capabilities, challenges us with mysteries beyond our understanding. That's not why doubts come. Most of the time, if we could be totally honest, the root of our doubt is something much more personal. The real cause of doubt and skepticism is often our unwillingness to order our lives according to God's ways. God's teachings cut across our own personal desires. There's, there's interesting, this is not a quote, this, these are my own words and these are going up on the screen for some reason. But um, yeah, so let me just say, God's, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, 
So let me just say, God's teachings cut across our personal desires. His instruction conflicts with our willingness to obey. And when our hearts are not in harmony with God, things that are not really quite plain, clear and clear become a source of question and doubt. There's a watermark verse that Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 17. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine. In other words, if we would follow what we know and say yes to what is plainly revealed, if we would follow the light that already shines into our lives and follow that, then understanding would come. And then more light would be given. So here's my recommendation to you. Steps to Christ, page 111. By the grace of Christ, perform every duty that has been made plain to your understanding. And you will be enabled to understand and perform those of which you are now in doubt. I like that. You have a choice to make. I have a choice to make. You either step into the light, the truth of God's will, or you remain put and stay where you are, doubting. Each either, each either jump or stay put. That's why sometimes people call it the leap of faith, because it involves a leap, making a full commitment without knowing for sure What's going to happen? What I do know is this. If I don't leap, if I don't trust, if I don't hope, if I don't say yes, then I'll never know the joy that God has in store for me by believing. And that's what I've, I'm warned in Scripture when the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest, lest any of you being hardened through deceitfulness of sin. Doubts often stem from my unwillingness to follow Jesus. Peter, James, and John were on a mountaintop experience with Jesus. They got to see Jesus transformed on this mountain. And Peter right there suggested, hey, Jesus, let's build shelters here. Let's make it a special spot for you and the other two that appeared with you, Elijah and Moses. Uh, I heard it said, nine-year-old Rosie asked, if God loves us so much, why doesn't he keep us happy all the time? Good question, Rosie. Maybe it's because happiness is important but there are even more important things to learn in life than happiness, like becoming loving, like being kind, being good. Those things are often not learned so much on the mountaintop as they are learned in the valleys of life. Christianity, one person said, Christianity is like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper it goes. On the mountaintop, Jesus said to Peter, 
James and John. On the mountaintop, Jesus said to these three, Mark 9, verse 12, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Life includes more than mountaintops. There will be confusion. There will be doubts. There will be questions. There will be struggles. There's going to be a crucifixion. But there will be a resurrection. Someday we'll understand. Today we trust. Jesus and his three friends go down from the mountaintop experience. And things aren't going so well down in the valley. They met a father there who is desperate for help. His son is tormented by a demon and he suffers convulsions and self-destructive behavior and that's been going on since childhood. And he's looking for G- to Jesus for help. And his disciples only heighten his disappointment. The, son, the, the father tells Jesus how the son has been tormented by this spirit that makes him mute and throws him into the ground in convulsions. And he says to Jesus, I brought him to you for help, but you were gone. So I asked your disciples for help, but they failed. And then Jesus says these words, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? Mark 9 verse 19. Now mostly Jesus was talking to his his disciples about this disappointed disappointment that he had. But then he turns to the father and he says, <clears throat> bring your boy to me. And the father does so. And right then, according to the scripture, you, you can read the story in Mark chapter 9, the, the boy goes into a, a violent convulsions and rolls on the floor, foaming at the mouth. And everybody is, is quiet now. And Jesus asks the question, how long has this been going on? And the father answers in verse number 22 of chapter 9. From childhood, he says, from childhood, it often throws him into the fire or into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Notice those words. Sometimes, sometimes what we really believe Our core convictions leak out in just a single word, if. So it was with this man, if. If is not a mountaintop word, if is valley talk. Jesus, he's saying, this is my boy, Jesus. I've prayed to God every day for him. Jesus, for years I've told God, God, I'll do anything. God, I'll give you anything. God, I'll promise you anything. But there was nothing, nothing, nothing for years. Jesus, I imagine this man saying, Jesus, every time a a new rabbi came around, every time I saw a teacher that I thought there would be hope with, every time I saw a holy man with a reputation for healing and power, every time I saw someone with, that might help, I brought my son. I'd ask him, can you do anything to help us? The answer came back again and again. Nothing. Nothing. Then I heard about you, Jesus. My hopes got up. Do you know how much it hurts to hope? 
and get your hopes up. I got my hopes up, Jesus. I brought my boy and your disciples could do nothing and it turned into a circus again. But if you can do anything, if you can do anything, and Jesus picks up on that word, if, and we hear this amazing statement that gives us hope and slays us too. If you can, Jesus says, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes, Mark 9, 23. Jesus, in a way, says back to this man his own if question. The man says, help me if it's possible. Help me if it's possible. Jesus says, all things are possible if you believe. All things are possible. Faith is foundational. There's power in faith. Jesus believed this. Jesus lived this. Jesus, his faith faith was the key to his victorious life. But this man, contrary to Jesus' faith, has an iffy faith. And he prays an iffy prayer. He hopes if somehow his boy might be healed. And he says, I do believe, I do believe after that. Help me overcome my unbelief. In other words, he's saying, I believe, but my belief is mixed with doubt. I have hope and fear. I, have, I pray and I waver. I have faith, but I have questions. I ask, but I worry. I believe. Help my unbelief. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement of Jesus. And you wonder, how's Jesus going to respond to this? So um, I just made up something and I call it, this is the book of refusals, chapter 9, verse 25. By the way, I made that up, okay? So Jesus says, I'm shocked and appalled that you have doubts. Too bad for you. I have no time for this kind of insulting request. (laughs) That's not in the Bible. That's my own little version. Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't say something like that? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that Jesus doesn't walk away? Aren't you glad that he turns to this man's son and rebukes the evil spirit that is convulsing him and took this boy's body limp and lifted him to his feet? The boy is healed. The boy will live. He'll grow up to make friends. He'll grow up studying the Torah. He'll grow up to to work along beside his dad. He'll get married maybe someday. He'll have children someday maybe. He'll grow to be an old man and when he's old, he'll remember the day. He'll remember the day when he was a boy and a young rabbi did what nobody else could do. He'll remember that day. He'll remember that day on the mountaintop with Jesus. Now, the question is, (laughs) how about you? How about me? Maybe you're going right now. Maybe you're saying, I wonder if this story really happened. Maybe you think it happened, but you go, 
I don't think it can happen for me. Maybe you feel like your faith has a big if in it. Maybe you feel like Jesus' own disciples on another occasion. And you can remember this, recorded in John chapter number 6. And after this large group of people heard Jesus' sermon about being the bread of life and about being the living bread whose flesh must be eaten and blood must be drank, his disciples came to him and said, this is a hard teaching. Who can understand it? Those are the words of a doubter. The words of a doubter. The words of every doubter. Jesus' listeners, his followers, found themselves simultaneously attracted and repulsed. Like a compass needle trying to find the magnet. And one by one, the crowd of onlookers and followers leave, slouched away, leaving only the twelve with Jesus. And Jesus says to them in John chapter 6, verse 67, do you want to leave too? Do you? And Simon Peter spoke these words that have resonated in my heart for decades. Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? That's me. That's me. There's something inside me that can't quit. I can't quit hoping. Something inside me keeps drawing me to this, this rabbi. Something about his life, something about his acts, something about his work, something about his, his word, something about his life, something about his conviction that the universe is run by a kind of father that Jesus described, that Jesus loved. Something about his power, something about his peace that draws me to him and has drawn people from all over the world throughout time for 6,000 years and is drawing today. He's drawing today. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. There are others. There are others with words aplenty, but yours, Lord, yours are true. Your words give hope. Your words speak conviction, ex expose falsehood, give light and light and purpose and future. God invites us today to prove him Prove his reality. He says in Psalm 34, verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, we can't see and know everything. <laughs> we'll never see and know everything now. After all, why should we think that a relationship between the invisible, holy, almighty God and visible, sinful human beings should exist without an element of doubt? Doubt is there. You may be stuck on if, if, wondering, can I trust him for my life? This is the problem. This is my challenge. What about my job? What about my health? What about my future? What about my life? 
Can I commit myself to him even though I have these doubts and these questions? If I take a leap, will he catch me? You know, it really doesn't matter what I say because in the end, you have to taste yourself. I can't do it for you. Jesus says, ask and you will receive. Seek and you shall find. And then he says, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. John 16, 24. His promises will be fulfilled. They have never failed, ever. They can never fail. As long as we live here on earth, there will be mysteries that we'll never completely understand or comprehend. But he will give us enough evidence to discern his boundless love, his rich mercy through every heartache and trial. Would you believe? I want to close with this thought. Steps to Christ. He will give as much understanding of his purposes as is for our good to know. And beyond this, we must still trust the hand that is omnipotent, the heart that is full of love. Would you believe? Would you trust? Would you take that step today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the invitation in Jesus Christ. No, there'll never be a time when everything is settled, when we understand everything, when there are no doubts at all, when everything is clear. There'll never be such a time. But you do give us ample evidence in our own lives, our own hearts, yearn and we long for you, your character, when we see the beauty of your holiness. We're drawn. We thank you that you give us that evidence through your word. It speaks to us every day and through nature, declaring the, the glory of your goodness. And so today, we, in the privacy of our homes, wherever this message finds us, we are today saying, yes, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And you will always do that. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.